welcome to our lovely little podcast. Welcome. Welcome. <laughs> Twice a month, your hosts watch a movie. Your hosts are me, Bonnie, and Lauren over here. Say hi, Lauren. Hi, hi. Hey, Lauren. So we watch a movie, we do some homework, and we create Check Your Threading, a podcast that serves up history, psychology, and perspective on that film. Hi, again, I'm Bonnie. I have a film theory background, and I especially love talking about the nuances of genre. I'm also a writer of experimental fiction and a lover of cats. And I'm Lauren. I have a background in creative writing and literature, and I like to binge research. Mm, nice. All right. So for the month of May, we're doing sci-fi. <laughs> Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. We got it. Moving. Let's just pretend that didn't happen. Okay. This week we have Gattaca, an American feature film that came out in 1997, written and directed by Andrew Nichols, starring Ethan Hawke, Jude Law, and Uma Thurman. Gattaca is a sci-fi neo-noir thriller about a world where genetic engineering is used to perfect the human species. Wait, so um, what makes something neo-noir instead of just noir? I'm glad you asked, Lauren. I'm glad I asked, too, because I don't know the answer. <laughs> neo-noir is a genre of contemporary films made in the traditional noir style, So, and that's often with a twist. Okay. So some good examples are like Sin City, um, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, another sci-fi neo-noir thriller, would be something like Blade Runner or its sequel. Okay, okay. Okay. All right. So, Ethan Hawke is a naturally conceived human who is just riddled with birth defects. He teams up with Jude Law, who is perfect on paper, but paralyzed from the waist down in reality. And together, they team up and create an identity that lets Hawke pursue his dreams of being an astronaut. Right, you with me? Yep, yep. Gattaca. Inspired. Yes, good, good. Gattaca was also nominated for an Academy Award in art design, and it was voted the most accurate science fiction film ever made by NASA scientists. Twenty years later, activists and scientists are still talking about the film as a sort of cautionary tale for what happens when we misuse genetic engineering. So. So there's a lot going on there. Okay. <clears throat> so this is nineteen ninety seven, right? Yes. Okay. So Dolly the Sheep is our first successfully cloned animal. Uh and that happened two years prior. So that was in nineteen ninety five. And the human genome mapping project has just been like churning away for seven years and it's only halfway done. Delicious. Exactly. So in the real world, we're just starting to get into this, like, future is now phase Mm -hmm. of, like, how is life artificially created in 1997? Sweet. Oh, plus, we've had two Jurassic Park films at this point, and a lot of Jeff Goldblum for our pubescent eyeballs to deal with. Yeah, (laughs) which we can probably blame for our desire to genetically engineer humanity, like wanting to create more Goldblums. Yes. Yes, indeed. (laughs) Uh, So the whole vibe of the movie is 
in my opinion, very Ray Bradbury. It's very like reach for the stars, very like the best of humanity is just beyond our grasp. So keep grasping. <laughs> uh, Great. We, <laughs> we have uh, doctors in the movie telling parents that they're creating the very best version of you, which is like sort of reinforcing that hardcore American ideal. Yeah, yeah. And I love how they push that into the film in like subtle ways. Like um, there's a piano performance in the second act, uh, the guy with the 12 fingers. Yeah, so the composer actually digitally enhanced the piece so that only a person with 12 fingers could ever play it. Honestly, I love that moment. Like, I think that space exploration ties into that perfection in a way. Yeah. Um, like manifest destiny, our so-called right to expand into the stars to see what's out there because we deserve it. <laughs> That's not my favorite kind of space travel movie or story. Like Gattaca kind of dodges the why are we doing this of its sci-fi when it comes to the main character's desire to become an astronaut. Like we really only know that he wants it because he's been told he can't have it. We don't know, like, what they're doing up there. Do they have a prime directive? Are there ethics? Like, what's going to happen once he gets up there? Interesting. I wonder if there's a book. I haven't looked that up. That's a good question. Um, And also the idea that if you work just hard enough, if you push yourself way beyond your natural capacity, that, like, even your sad, broken body can help you reach your dreams, um, while this other person's sad, broken body is going to be lit on fire. Yeah, actually, so that ties into the valid and invalid class structure, right? So Mm -hmm. we have a whole new kind of class discrimination in Gattaca, Mm -hmm. where gene-edited children are valid and natural-born children are invalid, which, okay, is the same thing as invalid, Mm -hmm. which is how we're getting astronaut Ethan Hawke and his secret heart defect in the same apartment as wheelchair-bound Jude Law. I think the whole reason this movie plays so well on our pre-existing fears is because it presents a scenario where like white able-bodied people can see our own dominance being switched off. And that freaks us out. Like we want to see what's going to happen in that scenario. So I feel like the movie goes out of its way to say that blood is the only nationality genetics are are the only nationality uh, implying that like we don't even have race or country based discrimination. Of course that's delivered in the mouth of a white British guy. So a British guy named Eugene which is not too far off from eugenics. Oh, weird. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know. There was a moment that really caught my attention where the detective, who is Alan Arkin's character, arguably the best character in the film, Mm -hmm. is outside at night with all these people um, lined up against starkly lit walls, and it's a shot through a chain-link fence, the scene was disturbing due to like the similarities, you know, something you might see in Nazi Germany. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they were unapologetically running with that visual. It felt like to me. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like considering the disabled character ends up putting himself in an oven, there's a reinforcement of yes. that from the beginning to the end. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like to its credit, Gattaca does seem to be pretty seriously criticizing this setup, but we're going from the macro level, meaning like the culture presented in the film to the micro level, which is that Ethan Hawke spends 
however many years living off of Jude Law's identity. And then it's just like, okay, bye. And doesn't give a <laughs> shit about what's going to happen to this dude the minute he steps out the door. Yep. Yep. His eyes are on the stars now. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. So what do we got? We got DNA. We got sociology. We got space. There really is a lot. So let's dig a little deeper, shall we? Hmm? Mm-hmm. Ah. We shall. We shall. How else is the movie reinforcing these ideas besides the explicit plot itself? This is a really juicy film in more ways than one. On the surface, at the very beginning, the film is very sterile and kind of rigid, you know, uh, even as flakes of skin and hair are falling down in sheaths like a cold November rain right before our <laughs> eyes. It all feels very clean like maybe a little too clean you know yeah this movie has always given me stress about how much i shed my hair and skin follicles for like my entire life mm-hmm. um i've always wanted one of those little vacuums that ethan hawk uses to clean his keyboard yeah yeah super gross right but the palette is also clean it's made up of you know varying grays blues and whites Um, The architecture in the film is very bare and totalitarian, which is interesting when the overall style has been described as brutalism. So brutalism is a kind of architecture that was basically came up in popularity in the UK in the 1970s. It's very hard lines, functional, modern, minimal. And that's, you know, that comes back into the movie right down to the camera work. Very functional, minimal, you know. And that that goes throughout the whole film until the human condition gets pushed into the picture, you know. Sure, and we see that come out in um, Victor's life, too. Like, he's living this, this rigid life to avoid getting caught. Not only to not get caught, but even beforehand when he was a janitor... He was living a very rigid lifestyle to try and get a foot into the door, right? Yeah, totally, totally. But noir films are not about unblemished societies or people or cultures. They're dark and gritty and full of cracks. And so I appreciate Nichols using this genre as a vehicle for a world obsessed with perfection. Hmm. So like I said, you know, this film is juicy, (laughs) In Gattaca, people are being literally stabbed and drained all day, every day. Blood gets them into their jobs and urine helps them keep it. It's just super gross. So Yeah, it is super gross. (laughs) But I did notice that many of the more human moments in the film are uh, set in nature or near it, which is just teeming with unkempt biomass. Vincent's parents conceive him by the ocean. The brothers play on the beach or swim as boys and also as adults in a flaccid attempt at an emotional connection to the main character. You know, just my opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, And Vincent and Irene, like, they have sex against a background of, like, crashing waves that turn out to not be symbolic at all because originally I was like, this is some pretty intense symbolism here, you guys. (laughs) So all the messiness, you know, it comes out, the vulnerability, the pain, the passion. The ocean is also potentially where all human life comes from, crawling out of the sea, you know? Oh, and, and also death. I mean, there are two near-death experiences in the sea. Yeah, that's right. I like it. <laughs> okay, so 
what is Gattaca really about, right? Um, what I see in all of this, no matter how hard we try, no matter how hard the lines on our architecture or the cleanliness of our keyboards, no matter, you know, how perfect our genes are, life is not perfect, right? So yeah. what joy are these people experiencing? What sadness? Um, I see a sterile life in this desire for perfection. There's like, there's no room for risk in the obsession, um, when a calling card is a strand of hair and a DNA test, you can't really be experiencing much of the glorious messiness of life, you know? I love that, the glorious messiness. <laughs> That's so true. I feel like Gattaca also opens up a conversation that we're having 22 years later about genetic privacy, um, genetic discrimination, stuff like that. So, like, I have friends uh, with... I guess what you would call incriminating genetics who only discuss their chronic illnesses anonymously in case insurance companies try and use it against them. Like people have to think about this now it's happening today. It might be happening in the context of hacking and data breaches, but it's also arguably the, the same as forcing your employees to, you know, use their own blood as an ID source on a daily basis, which again, gross, just gross. <laughs> And transhumanism is also more of a conversation than ever, which is the idea that at some point we need to merge technology and human biology. Um, transhumanism at its best is creating like cool robot arms for kids to improve their mobility. Transhumanism at its worst is eugenics. So Gattaca fits into this concept that's already happening, which is another instance of the not too distant future being now. I think the closest thing to Gattaca that I've seen is that a Chinese doctor announced in December that he'd edited the DNA of some embryos that have led to a successful pregnancy. Specifically, he edited the gene that carries our vulnerability to HIV. The complication is that this HIV immunity could potentially make these children vulnerable to other diseases once they're born. Mm. And there are other questions around whether the parents totally understood what they were signing up for with mm. the experiment. Yeah. So the scientific community isn't super happy about how it happened. Um, so maybe that's a good thing. Maybe warnings like Gattaca worked if the default attitude toward genetic editing is that it's not cool. Um, we just don't really know how this stuff works yet. Yeah, yeah. So so what have we learned from Gattaca? Um, don't custom order babies like American Girl dolls. Uh, imperfection is always going to win. Imperfection is, like, necessary, right? I don't really want to explain my learning any further than that. Just Im <laughs> imperfection is necessary. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> so it's question time. Question time. Secret questions. Secret questions. Yes. Okay. So okay. Lauren, why don't you explain what question time is and then you'll kick it off with the first question ever. So question time are two questions that we're going to ask each other um that the other person has not had time to prepare for yes uh so my first question is if you were in gattaca what would be like your total giveaway that you're a godchild so godchild is a naturally conceived child yes um i don't know like there are so many things like it could be my i know right <laughs> like i have hypothyroidism so like that would be a definite giveaway it's just the tiniest little bit of hypothyroidism but i definitely have it okay um and my question to you yes is 
if you were living in the world of Gattaca, what would you want to be genetically engineered within you? I mean, I know this is super basic, but I would definitely give myself 2020 vision <laughs> because I've been wearing glasses since second grade. And the idea of being able to just not have to put on glasses or put in contacts every single day and just open your eyes and look around would be awesome. Yes, totally. So what do you think is actually going to happen when Victor gets home from I don't, space? I don't think Victor is going to get home from space. You think he's just going to stay up there forever? No, I think he might die in space because of his heart problem. Oh, solid. Okay. All right. Yeah, like, I do think that, uh, you know, <clears throat> he didn't save anything for the trip home. Oh, God. So okay. I kind of feel... we got that line in there once. <laughs> yeah. Good. Well done. Yeah, thank you. I, I feel like he was going up there to, like, be in space and die in space. Like, I don't think he's going to live his whole life. Like, because they said it was a miracle he lived to 30. So right. that kind of, to me, means, okay, then you have a very limited amount of time you're going to be spending. That's fair. There. So. Okay. All right. All right. So my question for you, my second question for you is. Yes. What movie would you pair with this movie what other film would you pair with this one um that is a hard question i would pair and this is not the most like brilliant response but i think that it's important to see this world which is very cold and analytical and almost like driven but directionless and i think it's important to pair that with um, one of the one of the like Picard led Star Trek movies, totally. Because I think that those films are very warm, very um, I was going to say human centric, but really just like being centric, yeah. Um, and very uh, aspirational in a way that is like, where are we going as a society and as a culture in a good way? Yeah. So I think that they complement each other as opposites. Yeah. Well, and just to nerd out a little bit on that as well, it's like Picard and his crew and that whole ship is like the best of us, you know? Yes, totally. Like everyone is the best of us, even when they're the worst, when they're at the yeah. worst, you know? The best of us means something very different in Star Trek than it does in Gattaca. Yeah. That's very important. Yeah, yeah. Okay, closing remarks. Yes. Um, my final thoughts on Gattaca are that um, Ethan Hawke's abs are part of the deception. <laughs> They're the first line of defense against unwanted scrutiny, and he doesn't want you to forget that. Okay, all right. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I get that. And also, uh, since I never got to say it in the actual, like, you know, lecture part of the program, um mm. I love that they have Jude Law climbing hand over fist up a spiral double helix-shaped staircase, sweating and straining his glorious muscles. Oh, my God. I have seen this movie like 19 times and never registered that metaphor, so I guess the glorious muscles were really uh, sort of taking taking the, the center stage on that. That's right. Of course they were. Yeah. So, um, on a more serious note, um, we also want to dedicate this episode to our dearly departed Ron Denny, who left us a few months ago after complications from an illness, and also dedicating it to his mother, Joni. 
Uh, Ron was born with a congenital heart defect, and he was a three-time open-heart surgery survivor. His his heart wasn't perfect, but it was a good big heart. So please consider taking a look at www.achaheart.org for more info. Yeah, the organization meant a lot to Ron, and so did good science fiction. Um, he was particularly a big fan of Star Trek, which is why I feel like I should apologize to his memory for our next episode. Um, please <laughs> join us next time for our journey into the sun or an asteroid. We're going to be talking about Armageddon. Hooray! Hooray. Hooray. Boo. <laughs> Save your booing for next time. Hello, listeners. I know you thought the episode was over, and it is, but I had to come back, sans Lauren, sorry, because we forgot to talk about our social medias. We have an Instagram account, Check Your Threading, and a Twitter, at Check Threading. All right? Okay. Have a good night, sleep tight, and we'll see you in two weeks. Bye.